South Bend, Indiana, where I'm sitting in a hotel room the day before the Jackets get ready to play a basketball game um, against the Fighting Irish. And uh, Russell's sitting comfortably not too far from me, actually. And uh, he is uh, kind of on DEFCON 8 or whatever you want to call it, uh, ahead of National Signing Day on Wednesday and kind of Russell, I, I guess, kind of let's just go with the brass tacks. Kind of what can people expect? Uh, who's still in play as uh, we get ready to to have the second signing day, which is a little bit anticlimactic compared to the the first one. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, if you when you look back at the the craziness that happens, like that first part of the early signing day, where there are so many NLIs coming in and the Twitter account, like the whichever Twitter account they're tweeting out the NLIs from, um, that they, they, it's hard for them to keep up. But for the, the second signing period, they're not going to have any problem with that whatsoever. It seems um, the the most likely signature of all is the the one that's been the most highly coveted, the most talked about, the most unlikely at some point, depending on who you talk to, and, and that's Dalton running back Jameer Gibbs who went all the way from a three-star, you know, everybody everybody knew he, he had talent. Um, so what he is now, uh, Rivals 100, top 70 player in the country. Uh, he would be the highest-rated signee, according to Rivals, at least, since Calvin Johnson. Um, and then you, you had the possibilities of Javon Baker. But it, with him, it just seemed like the – the issues, the potential issues with, with grades and everything like that. Georgia Tech's not in the place to where they can sign a kid like that and, number one, give an initial to him. Because even if he doesn't qualify, that still counts as an initial scholarship. And, number two, they're not in the place where they can sign and place a kid like Javon Baker at a JUCO and then sign him in two years like, say, Alabama could do or a, a, any other program in the SEC or that heavily recruits the, the JUCO land. Um, and then you also at one point had the potential, you still kind of do have like a really, really, really small percentage, I'd say maybe 10 to 15% with um, Birmingham area defensive tackle, Jason Jones, who's been committed to Alabama, basically at least in his parents' eyes since he was born. But um, <laughs> with that being said, um, Alabama has, has not been committed to him, at least for the past, I don't know, almost calendar year. Um, <laughs> really since Brent Key left, basically. They, that's when the, the shine started to come off of, uh, off of that relationship. And it's, uh, that, that's been a fascinating, um, kind of subplot to all of this and people really wanting him. And the, the analogy that I will make with him is one for tech fans. This is, well, before your time, Russell, but there was a kid named T.J. Barnes from Enterprise, Alabama, who came to Georgia Tech um, as a, he was a offensive tackle, defensive tackle, very much like Jason, could play either one. He ended up playing defensive tackle and really um, underachieved or didn't live up to the hype. I, I don't know that he underachieved. I think with guys that size, sometimes it takes time to grow to your body. He's had a nice career in the NFL, but was never really a huge difference maker in college. And 
Jason's sort of in that same kind of mold, just a big, long guy that could probably hone his skills as an offensive tackle and be a guy who could play in the NFL easily, but wants to go down this defensive tackle path. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does. You know, we assume he's going to go to Oregon, but um, it's a long way from, from where he's from in Alabama multiple flights to just get out there see the family that that's a lot to think about and um I, this one reeks to me of a kid that's going to be in the transfer portal in like a year or two yeah i agree 100 percent. i wouldn't be surprised at all if you you know you got that report especially if he does end up all the way out there out west and that would be uh, that would be tough for the kid that'd be tough for his potential football future and It'd be even tougher for the family because he'd be going to another school not named Alabama. Yep, and there's no real path back to Alabama unless he was some sort of stud at Oregon that changed the game. But they don't really take a lot of inbound transfers, anyways, uh, especially in the line of scrimmage. So the whole thing's just kind of weird, and that that's a whole other thing. And it, it's clear they kind of moved on when they went kind of chips in on T.J. Davis. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, and then T.J. Davis, who is also still very much in the picture, um, he's, he's currently on an official for about another 24 hours or so um, to Florida State. And then his plan likely will be to, to go back to Matter and to really just kind of sit down and think about it, weigh the pros and cons, um, talk about everything he saw in the Florida State visit, everything he saw in the Georgia Tech visit, and then kind of make a decision from there. I don't. I anticipate him waiting until Wednesday to announce something, but I believe before the dead period starts, which would be Sunday at midnight, I fully anticipate he'll have the final decision made in his head. Yeah, I think you kind of, and I think the coaches want to know that. You know, Florida State's in a different position because they're able to, they, I think, are really under their number, so they can kind of, around with with waiting whereas Georgia Tech's in a different spot and you know uh, the thing is like both schools are not terribly far from home for him uh, you know Atlanta's under a three-hour drive um Tallahassee I think's four something hours so it'll be interesting a lot of kids down there love Florida State but it's a whole different animal now this is not Florida State with you know, Bobby Bowden, this is not Florida State with even Jimbo Fisher. This is a a tainted program in some ways, um, or a damaged program that's got to kind of reprove itself. So I'm curious how much that, that plays in this whole thing for TJ when you look at it at the end of the day. Is he going to go for that, that brand? Is it brand loyalty or is it, you know, the, the school that got on him earliest at, you know, in the second uh, signing period and really has kind of pushed the hardest for him. And uh, that's going to be kind of an interesting subplot. It'll be an interesting kind of way to gauge how uh, Jeff Collins and his staff kind of can close in some of these weirder situations where a kid like that's not getting a Florida State offer most years. Like, it's just not. And, no. you know, Georgia Tech saw potential there. That That's what ultimately they're going to have to – they're figuring this out a little bit here until you get start stacking the dubs, it's defensive line is always going to be the hardest thing to recruit in interior defensive line, especially at Georgia Tech. So it's going to be development and trying to find guys with 
something you like that maybe have like a flaw, like they're too short or they're too thin or they're too whatever, you know, and trying to mold those guys into what you want or getting a guy, you know, that wants to, that's probably best off playing offensive tackle that is going to be a defensive tackle or whatever that, that move is. That's something that, you know, Jeff Collins and his staff are, are starting to kind of understand a little bit better. And I think that, um, if you're, you're TJ Davis, you need to kind of look at who you're going to be playing with, what's going on there in the staff situation and how comfortable you are with those people. And he seems pretty comfortable with your tech. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what his vibe is out of this visit. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And then, I mean, as much as Florida state fans don't want to think about it, I don't see Norvell getting, his full contract to show that Florida state can be a winning program consistently again, the pressure is going to be on him just like it was really Taggart. If he comes in week year one and doesn't get to a bowl game. I mean, what Willie Taggart got, what, 18 months. Yeah, exactly. Um, like that, you know, like it's a, it's a different, uh, it's definitely a different kind of, um, vibe and and just I, I think they're kind of swimming and they've not reacted well to the whole thing with Jimbo Fisher and hiring Willie Taggart was kind of a desperation move and their coaching search which took forever for a job that was open um, and then finally getting Mike Norvell who was kind of a disappointment to the fans I, I think he's a good coach I'm kind of curious to see where he's at Willie I watched Willie Taggart up close at South Florida um not exactly uh, known for stockpiling guys in the trenches and you know <laughs> roster management and roster building, so I'm sure I'm sure Mike Norvell has taken over a little bit of a mess. And they've had a lot of guys leave too, uh, you know, in the last few years for various reasons. So uh, you know that's going to be a whole other interesting thing too because that's a program with so much history and the fans are kind of checked out right now and. Is that going to kind of snowball on them? We've seen great teams that are once dominant kind of fall apart um, easily with a couple of bad hires or, you know, one bad coach can set a program back five years, six years. So did Willie Taggart do that at Florida State? I think we're going to find that out probably in the next two years. Yeah, agreed 100%. And I think that um... – the trajectory of the, the Georgia Tech program, this is the year where you'll be able to find out a lot more about what the trajectory is. Are they trending upward to like, you know, Colin has everybody thinking they are, um, you know, do they have a consistent offense? Is the defense improving? Are they getting to the quarterback more? All of those things are all going to play major factors into the season, but not just into the season, but also into to recruiting when you start to realize where these kids are going to fit in. Sure. And you're also figuring out the other, well, the other thing they're not figuring out, but it's these relationships they're building and the getting the kids on campus, right? That's one of the big keys at Georgia tech is to get them on campus when they're young, get them used to coming to school, getting them coming to games, those types of things. And they had to hit the ground running last year. And one of the tough spots, even for this class, 2020, they were still behind the ball in terms of relationships because um, <clears throat> really other than Brent Key, no one else on the staff was totally focused on their area recruiting. They were 
at other areas at their previous jobs. So uh, you kind of look at the big picture now. These guys will, you know, the 2021 classes where you should see a real significant move uh, one way or the other that kind of determines what what ends up happening to, to the program, what the viabilities are kind of long-term, and how they're going to manage roster and how they're going to deal with this, these um, different modals and what's the offense, what's the offensive strategy. Because before, they've kind of been in a situation where they're just taking the best player available, right? Um, trying to find pe- match pieces, you know. I mean, ultimately, like, it was Gibbs or Bust at running back in this class for 2020. You know, like, they're not – they didn't need another running back. They had plenty of running backs. They wanted a special back. So Gibbs fit that bill, so you take him. Um, you're, that's sort of the, the bare edge of this. Now we're going to get into a situation where I think you're going to see them be a lot more like we're taking three receivers – you know, two tight ends, whatever, whatever those numbers end up being, they're going to be very hard and strict on them because the roster management aspect of this is going to change a lot because you're not going to see the same level of attrition you've seen from the first two years of the program. Yeah, I, I agree because the last thing you want, or at least in that case, attrition would be become a bad thing. Um, you know, normally right. attrition is a, a needed thing for, for programs but kind of, I mean, for a lack of a better analogy, to, to let some of the fat off. Um, you know, some of the, the, the players who just haven't worked out or you know, aren't getting the playing time they had hoped for, um, academics may be too much for them, those kind of things all factor into to that. But when, when it comes to the level of talent that may or may not be leaving the campus at least these first two full years after this coming um, I, I guess you'd call it portal season or whatever you really want to call it. But w- whenever that starts to take place, these first two, the level of talent between that and the ta- level of talent that would potentially be leaving after that from the 2019 class or 2020 class and beyond, that's where you would start to really consider things to be a bad boss. Yeah, and I think now they're sort of, you know, in this space where – the guys you should have are, are pretty pretty much the ones that are fully bought in. So, and they're the ones that they want to stay around, right? Um, I think the culling of the roster has has kind of gone on, and people love to ask about those kinds of things. And it's tough because um, we're trying to be respectful to both the players in particular because you know they didn't ask for Paul Johnson to retire. They didn't ask for you know, they didn't hire Jeff Collins. They're just stuck in the middle of a situation. So we're trying to be careful of that and also mindful of the, the staff and Jeff who do care about a lot of these kids and they want them to to have positive experiences even if it's not working out for them. So it's a slippery slope. That's why we haven't, you know, haven't been blasting you with numbers and well, this is where they got to be at and all that stuff. We've been trying to to be a little more cool about that, just with an intentional um, kind of respect deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't agree with you more on that. Um, you know, if the kid's going to to transfer, if he's going to enter his name in the transfer portal, he's going to do that. He's going to announce it. And, I mean, if we catch wind of it before, well, we may drop some, some hints or something like that. But we're never, I'm, I know I we would both never just come out and straight up say, 
so-and-so's leaving the school for so-and-so reason. Exactly. Um, so kind of what, I guess, kind of what are your expectations here in terms of, have you had a chance to look at the rankings and kind of where you project Georgia Tech landing, um, or I guess staying is probably more accurate in terms of, uh, if they can find Gibbs and say it's TJ Davis, um, does that do anything to the rankings in your opinion? So I was looking at the team rankings recently, actually just maybe 20 minutes ago, but, um, the, the real thing that it's going to be telling is what happens right above them and what happens right below them. Sure. You've got Texas sitting one spot ahead of them, which is an insanely disappointing class for the Longhorns, but we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> and then, you, then you've got South Carolina at 22. South Carolina being at 22 is almost exclusively because they currently hold the verbal commitment a five-star defensive lineman, Jordan Birch. They signed Jordan Birch. Georgia Tech's ceiling, like in terms of how high they could possibly go, drops by one because South Carolina's not going anywhere. South Carolina loses Birch. Georgia Tech's at number 23 in the country instead of 24. Then then you've also got schools right below them who could potentially go up, like um, Mississippi State, 26. Um... UCLA, I don't really see that happening. Um, Colorado, if they are able to keep Clayton and then add a couple others, they could end up into the top 30, even up into close to the top 25. Um, but sure. other than that, you've really got to go down the list. And you, like the the chance that Ole Miss somehow gets Zach Evans, um, Arkansas getting Malik Hornsby and uh, potentially some other four stars. Like it's going to take a lot for any of these schools to jump Georgia Tech. I mean, those schools I was just naming, like Arkansas and Ole Miss, they're over almost 300 points behind Georgia Tech. So really, as long as they do sign Gibbs, I don't see them falling behind below 26 or 27. If they get Gibbs and Davis, and so like let's say Birch does end up at LSU or elsewhere, um, that, that would put Georgia Tech at 23, possibly even 22, depending on what else happens at the top. That makes a lot of sense. So it'll be interesting. This is certainly rarefied error in, in my time doing this uh, <laughs> um, for Georgia Tech. Um, you know, I, I find it really interesting to to kind of see uh, how this all plays out. And I think it's sort of the fun of this time of year uh, is the, the end of the chase, right? This is the the big payoff uh, coming up and a chance. And once they do the signing, we'll start getting into the analyzation of like where these guys fit in and, and what is the depth chart look like really going into fall. Cause the spring is pretty much set, but how do these guys fit in? Who's going to play? Who's not going to play? Jeff's showing a real uh, penchant for trying to mix the young guys in, you know, I expect another tough season for them in terms of trying to get the dubs. So, um, you know, that there's going to be opportunities, I think, especially in some of the games, to, to play some of these kids and get their feet wet. And, you know, if you're in a blowout with Clemson or whatever, or Notre Dame, you can put in a, you know, young Jameer Gibbs if he's not playing much and give him a chance. Like, let him, let's see what he can do, you know. And that's sort of the fun of that new rule with the, the four games and getting to play them. And 
I've actually been spearheading a little bit of movement with some basketball coaches to try to get that for, for college basketball. I think it'd be cool to, to be able to play and redshirt some guys because there's some situations in college basketball where there's guys who only play in, you know, six, seven games, eight games, nine games, and they're shut down. And if you could just know that you could play them, you know, say eight games in a season um, and keep their redshirt, I think it would make the, I think it would improve the, bat, the level of basketball. I think it would be really interesting um, in terms of roster management. It would kind of curb some of the stuff you've seen going on at maybe some of the big boy schools. And, I, you know, I, I would like to see that rule. It's one of the few rules I would like to see kind of go across into other sports because uh, I think that's one of the – few really smart things they've done in, in college football in the last few years. And it's hard for me to say that when it comes to the NCAA, but uh, they got that one right. So it's going to be interesting to see what, what they do with these young offensive linemen, who plays, who doesn't, you know, they have a bunch of them already in school. Like can those guys get in the two deep quickly? Like yeah, it's hard to play like offensive line as a true freshman in, in, in college. So a lot of questions, man. It's going to be a really interesting next really four or five months leading into, into fall camp. And then I think uh, fall camp and the start of the season is going to be insane just because of the way the schedule starts for Georgia Tech. So it'll be interesting, you know, if they can hold Gibbs here, if they can get a TJ Davis or something, pull a little rabbit out of the head here at the end. And the other thing we didn't touch on is there's still a possibility of transfers. And the one thing that we haven't accounted for and we haven't even really talked about on the board yet is the majority of like different styles of transfers, like the kids that are not um, grad transfers, those all happen in spring after spring football, right? The majority of the kids who left Georgia Tech's football program last year all did it after spring football. That's when you see the biggest movement and that's when you could see like, you know, they're still in the market for a defensive tackle, I'm sure, if they can find one that's a little bit older. So you take a guy who maybe sits for a year, and those opportunities, I think, will present themselves uh, this spring. And that's what will be interesting, too, to kind of see what, if Jeff Collins and his staff can, can kind of pull a rabbit out of their hat late that way as well. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. They've been trying, and I think they'll uh, continue to try. Um they, they obviously, I would guess, I mean, I can't speak directly for them, but I would guess that they aren't too pleased the way the defensive line board ended up. Um, I know with Jason Jones, I, I hate to talk about him any more than I already have, but um, the expectation and the hope was that he would have signed in December. And if he would have signed in December, it would have been with Georgia Tech before all these other programs became desperate and saw his size and his measurables and decided to bring him on campus for a visit and stuff like that. Um, But other than that, I mean, that's another really high priority for the 2021 class is finding an impact level defensive lineman who can come in early and contribute. And they've been hosting them. I mean, they had both the Grayson D linemen on campus recently, and, and, and both of them talked very highly of the staff, the culture, the, the campus, everything. And, and, and being able to to win one of those battles is, is just a, really the next step. Well, that's the huge thing you get into, right, is 
what happens with those defensive tackles, like the pure, like, you know, I'm absolutely a defensive tackle, not a like a defensive end that's going to grow into, um, you know, a defensive tackle or whatever, just a guy that is a straight-up defensive tackle. And, you know, what <laughs> – where those guys are, who those guys are, what the, you know, the the opportunities are. Because it's weird when you look at, like, who signed um, the bulk of, like, all of the top defensive tackles in the class last year for the 2020 class all went to factories or, like, P5s. Like, that were – I mean, they went to factories or, like, the couple of other – kind of quasi-factory schools that are, like, right on the fringe of that, or they went to SEC schools. Um, it's <laughs> Like, I'm pulling up the list right now. Like, so our this is our rivals, like, the top 20. And I'll read you off where they all went to school. Clemson, Kentucky, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. Uh, uh, McKinley Jackson's probably going, what, to Mississippi State or Ole Miss or something like that? Alabama. There's, Alabama, okay. LSU, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee, Texas, Kentucky. North Carolina got Clyde Pinder because Clyde Pinder's an undersized defensive tackle from Armwood. A&M, South Carolina, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, and then Penn State. That's your top 20. What do all those schools kind of have in common? You know what I'm saying? Like, other than North Carolina who signed one smaller guy in the list, uh, they're all kind of either in the SEC or they're like a Clemson or a Penn right. State. And that's what Jeff's got to fight against. I mean, you have to go to 22 to find one that uh, Patrick Jenkins is uh, from Louisiana signed with TCU. That's the first guy. He's an undersized guy, too, at 6'2", 270. So, uh, you know, you know, there's – like Arizona State got one, and then it's kind of just the same old people, like if you flip through the list. So to get one of the – those are the guys that are difference makers, right? Like those top top uh, 20 guys, that's what they need to hit. And so far that has not happened. And you kind of look at a lot of – and the other issue with the defense tackle thing is I'm looking at the list, the, the back half of the list now, and there's like, five or six kids who are undecided, all of them have academic issues that I know about, you know, like <laughs> that I'm already aware of. So it's, it's just tough, man. Like it's hard to, that's the one position that's probably the hardest because you can recruit offensive linemen now that they're not running a triple option. I think that was a hindrance to recruiting offensive linemen before, but you're running a pro style, they're going to get offensive linemen. Those are usually smarter kids. Like, if defensive tackles, that's the most, like, difficult thing to recruit at Georgia Tech, and that's going to be the the great challenge for Jeff Collins because the truth is is he can get two really good ones at a time on campus just playing next to each other, Vance Walker, Darrell Richard, that they developed. And, like, that's going to carry their defense so much further. Like, what they've had to do with what they had in terms of the defensive tackle spot this year after Brandon Adams passing – was unbelievable, right? Like they they managed to kind of bodge something together, but um, it kills your defense. It makes your linebackers look bad. It's just hard to play without without a really good defensive tackle. And a lot of the teams they play, Miami, Georgia, 
uh, Clemson, they have them. And so that's tough to go against. Yeah, I uh, agree 100%. And then I think you also have to uh, kind of weigh in the – just the like you said, you were talking about the, the transition from being a triple option offense but also being a triple option defense. And I think that also kind of weighed into the the struggles they had recruiting defensive linemen, at least on the interior, because they were getting cut blocked every day because they were going through that kind of stuff in practice. Yeah, I mean, um, they certainly practiced it quite a bit. I mean, it's not one of those things that, like, they did every single minute of practice, but it was definitely – there was definitely good on good where they were cut blocking and – I mean, I certainly saw that myself. So it's going to be um, – that's going to be the next sort of that thing, the, you know, finding what the quarterback is, who the quarterback is, and what your identity is on offense. Those two things, to me, are the two things that will – can turn the corner, right, into being a regular contender in the ACC and – being a team that's going to be favored in the Coastal is if you figure those things out, that's such a huge piece of all of this. You're always getting, there's always going to be talent receiver. You're always going to find running backs. Georgia Tech's always had running backs. You can go back pretty much any point in history and find running backs at Georgia Tech. Um, and same with wide receiver, right? They've always had those. Um, they've never had an NFL quarterback in the history of the program. They've had one career start. Uh, in the NFL by a Georgia Tech quarterback. That is the lowest of any ACC school. Who was um, uh I think it was Mike Rhodes, uh, who was a uh, guy who left school early. Um, actually, I know him a little bit. I wish I knew Mike's story a little bit better. Uh, but Mike basically uh, he's the guy who played like uh, in the Arena League and all this other stuff. But he also played very briefly in the NFL. Um, and he went to George Tech. He, the unusual thing is he was like a six foot seven quarterback, um, which is a, a little bit different. Uh, you don't usually see that. But, you know, they have like literally, the, like if you go through and look at um, quarterbacks and like who's. And Mike, did, my feeling is that Mike didn't play much at Georgia Tech either. That's like the other funny part about it. But I could be wrong. I, that that's like way before my time. That's like the 1980s. So um, there's people on board are going to go nuts and like correct us and talk about what I screwed up. And I, I apologize, Mike, already to you. <laughs> uh, since we know each other. That I don't know your your <clears throat> your career that well. I was seven years old, I think, when you were at Georgia Tech. So uh, it was a little before my time. <laughs> See, for some reason, I thought Reggie... And I don't think you were born, Russell, so... Uh, no, I don't think so either. I think you're off the hook there, bud. Yeah, I think I was negative years old at that point. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's one of the my favorite stats about Georgia Tech. It's just the one shot they had sort of was Joe Hamilton, and... Joe gets hurt, and uh, he was, like, on his way to maybe being starting quarterback. I think it was with the Buccaneers. He got hurt in preseason, and his career, that was sort of the end of his career. And, you know, they just they never had, like, great quarterbacks for whatever reason. 
yeah, that's uh, that's something that they need to change for sure. And I think that um, not I wouldn't say all of the quarterbacks on the roster right now are are NFL caliber, but you know they all show flashes of being something that they haven't had in a while at the quarterback position. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I, you know, people are keep asking us, right? Like, what do we think is going to happen? I have no idea, man. Like, I thought that. I honestly thought that Lucas was going to be the quarterback after watching spring ball and like how he played and seeing practice every day. And the guy I thought was like the third best quarterback ended up with the job at the end of the year, James Graham. So I actually at one point thought he might've been the fourth best out there and he ends up winning the job and he definitely deserved it. Like you saw the progression of him throughout the, the, the fall as he started to kind of get his feet and understand the offense. But um, you just never can tell, man. Like it's one of those weird things. How many NFL teams have like a weird starting quarterback? It's not like the guy that everyone expected it to be, you know, like it happens in the pro level. So you can only imagine what happens in the college level when you have a bunch of guys and you have coaches that are willing to have a truly open competition and aren't promising anything. So I could tell you right now that Jeff Sims and, and Tucker Gleason were not promised anything. Like they were told you will have a chance to compete like everybody else. And, you know, they came in with an open mind wanting to win competition. That's where it's going to get really interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, that, that competition of, I think you could you could write a report about it every day during the spring, and I don't think our subscribers would get tired of it. I don't think the people listening to this podcast would get tired of it, and I really don't think that you would ever have the same story two days in a row. And I think that's no, because it's going to vary. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. really interesting. Like to me, like you know, my dark horse guy is Jordan Yates. I look at Jordan Yates. Jordan Yates is a really smart guy. He understands the offense. He is totally counted out by everyone because he's like three inches shorter than what you would ideally have at the position. Tucker's kind of a taller version of him. So does Tucker pick it up quickly? Does he kind of evolve? And then Jeff Sims and, and James Graham are very similar. Jeff's more polished throwing the ball, but those guys are super athletic. Like, I mean, wow. Like, they got to figure out how to use these guys a little bit better. I think that was one of my big disappointments with this past season um, is the way that they didn't figure out how to, to to use the running aspect of these quarterbacks a little bit better. They didn't figure that out really until the end of the season. I would have liked to see him James show his wheels a little bit more, but he was also a little banged up. But, uh, you know, it's ever evolving. These guys are learning their their personnel, and um, I know for a fact that Jeff Collins is very focused on trying to 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 have more of an offensive identity going into this twenty twenty season, and to have a little bit more um, cohesion on offense just in general. And I think all of those things will kind of coalesce and. If they can show that they can throw the football and score points, that's going to help recruiting more than anything else really they can do right now. Um, you know, people want to see exciting plays. You have Marion Brown is one of the most talented speed guys in the country. Get him the football. Get him the football where he can 
score, you know, stuff like that. Like, use all you got all these running backs, use them. Like, figure out how to get the ball to them, get in space, whatever you got to do. They got a really good talent wide receiver. They're going to spread the field out. Like, use those guys. So, it should be a really interesting next couple of months. Um, and, you know, it all kind of the, the early sort of tease of this is what happens, um, you know, next Wednesday and how these classes look and you can kind of look across the league and see what everyone else is doing and then have a uh, kind of baseline for what your expectations are uh, in terms of, you know, the next recruiting class. And this is sort of just setting the initial the initial piece of uh, Jeff Collins' culture. This is his first real class, right? Yeah. So if his baseline is 24, that's pretty damn good, man. Like most teams in the country would, you know, there's 40 teams in the country would be happy with with 24 right now, you know, like that are in the P5. So, uh, you know, what's the ceiling? That's the other question. That's the thing we don't know either. Right. Yeah, I think – I think if you you know if you asked me if you like made me choose the ceiling, I would say it would be kind of in between what North Carolina was this year and what Miami has been consistently, regardless of their uh, their efforts and their successes and failures on the football <laughs> field and in the coaching rooms. Just straight in the top middle of. Uh... Uh, the top middle of the ACC. <laughs> no, nah, nah, I'm talking in recruiting. <laughs> oh, you're talking about the recruiting. Oh, yeah, um, yes, yes. I'm talking about because I'm looking at the the team. Because they're like the usually ACC twenty right to eight, somewhere between like twenty and eight. Yeah, and and right um, now in the ACC, it's Clemson, and then it's really everybody else. Yeah, and that's the the other thing, right? Like the league needs someone else to step up. They need a Virginia Tech of the early 2000s or whatever, like some other counterpoint. They don't have that right now. So I'll be curious to see, you know, what if the Coastals were just so, um, everybody's so close together. Like there's no real discernible difference. I know Georgia Tech got spanked by Virginia Tech and beat Miami. Like there's no difference between any of those damn teams. Like, yeah. Like you watch them, like there's just as a what day you catch them on, right? Like, um, there's you know, Duke sucks, um, you know, Pitt's Pitt, they constantly manage to underwhelm whatever expectations they have, and Miami's the same way as them. Then you have Virginia who caught lightning in a bottle with Bryce Perkins, who's probably going to be the worst team in the league next year. So yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a, a real test to to Broncos, uh, the culture he's built and the his coaching ability. To be honest, my expectation is they're gonna be the team that wins three games next year. Is Virginia? They're gonna have the fall that Georgia Tech had in 2015, but it will not be Georgia. That was because of injuries. This is gonna be because they didn't have a running back and they don't have a quarterback and. They really needed to land Jamie Newman, and they whiffed, and he went to Georgia. And I don't see how they're going to win with what they have on their roster right now. But 
maybe the guy will coach his way out of it. All I know is that two years ago he was all but looking for jobs because he thought he was toast and they found Bryce Perkins and he totally changed their entire direction of the program. And that can sometimes happen if you find the right quarterback. It can totally change um, sort of the, uh, I guess, opinion or whatever of your program to the outsiders. Like Bronco Mendenhall was in trouble. They were signing classes in the 70s. Like, just kind of weird kids, like, made no sense. And he is, they've done a nice job with the development piece, especially on defense. But they are not skilled, and they got exposed by Clemson. Um, and just the, the gap in talent between those two teams. And once yeah. you get boxing and Perkins. So it'll be really interesting. They're, they're uh, my pick to, to be the most uh, – Disappointing team in the ACC next year is Virginia. Well, they are. They're currently 60th in the country in recruiting, according to rivals. But still recruiting I mean, better than Virginia Tech. Uh, <laughs> the, the Hokies are going into this weekend number 80 in the country. That's kind of amazing. I mean, they're behind several teams that had massive coaching changes and or like their coach is about to get fired or um uh, here's an example of who's ahead of Virginia Tech right now. East Carolina, Rutgers, Tulane, Louisiana Tech. But you missed one of the disappointing schools at sixty five, uh, Russ. <laughs> who's that? That'd be the Southern Cal Trojans. Oof. The perennial top 12 program is a 65 in this, this class. Uh, yeah, right now – Georgia Tech, that's crazy. Right now, this is a pretty amazing stat. Right now, Virginia Tech is tied with UConn and Marshall at 80. <laughs> They're just a step ahead of Arkansas State and Liberty. Well, they could have had Hugh Freeze. They could have. But uh, unfortunately for them, Justin Fuente did not leave, and that does not appear to be going anywhere. I mean, Bowling Green is ahead of a bunch of these schools. Like, it's sort of amazing. Um, Wow. I I mean, I'm trying to even think, like, what some of the worst classes I've seen are. That's up there. Like, that's pretty terrible. Yeah. And to, and to think they that they that Virginia Tech is still choosing not to take Rashad Battle just blows my mind. It'd be yeah, a nice uh, nice four star to add to the class. <laughs> I guess that shows you what uh, people thought of his senior tape. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, any kind of last minute predictions from you? Uh, do you, let's get a little quick take. Do you think uh, they hold on to Mister Davis? What do you think they land, Mr. Davis, should say? Do I think they hold on? Well, I mean, do I think they land Mr. Davis? Oh, gosh, that's, I'm still I'm still really up in the air. Um, right now I'm going to say yes, but obviously that's before um, any type of reporting or reports or anything other than from Florida State media comes out about his visit to Tallahassee. Um, I know I'm supposed to talk to him tomorrow night, and I'll have a much better feel on kind of where his head's at. I know he was really excited 
before he left and as he was, you know, kind of going towards there. But I haven't heard anything since. Um, but I'm still unsure, but right now I will say that I haven't changed my future cast, so I really have to go with that. Um, and then I'd also believe that they will hold on and get the signature of Jameer Gibbs. Yeah, I think that uh, that's been surprisingly uneventful, really, for the last two weeks, three weeks. Uh, I think all the pieces fell into place with other running backs that kind of made the perfect uh, situation for Georgia Tech to, to kind of clean up and keep him in the fold without having to get into a real nasty recruiting fight here at the end. They've gone and done all the stuff they're supposed to do, but things have also just worked out on that front too. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's been a perfect storm. I don't think you could, could describe it any better than that. Um, Ohio State, the situation that ended up happening there, um, with them deciding to, to go with the in-state kid and not take a second running back. Um, Gibbs canceling his LSU visit and then ending up taking a running back who was likely headed to the Big Ten before so. Um, and then just kind of after that, the dominoes just all fall into the, exactly the way that they needed to for Georgia Tech playing Gibbs. And I think that um, they're going to – I don't know if he's going to go public with it, but I believe in his mind he will know that he is going to sign with Georgia Tech on Wednesday before he leaves his official visit on Sunday morning. Okay, you heard it here first, folks. For Russell Johnson and Kelly Quillen, this has been the Jackets Online Podcast. We will catch you later.